Turn, please, with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have your own Bible, you can, as I said earlier, take the blue book that's in the pew and turn to page 835. 835. is our basic text we're using as we talk about outreach. Uh, Last time we talked about the authority of Christ, which is in the forefront in verse 18, all authority has been given to me. We talked about how he has authority to make the way for the gospel to go forth in this world. To oversee all powers, all political power, economic and social power, in order to move his gospel out. He has all authority. Nothing can stay his hand. And his authority is there to strengthen and encourage us to make us into the very people we need to be in order to carry the gospel where we are and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He has all authority to enable his people. He has all authority to bless our efforts and make us fruitful and make people responsive to his word, to draw people to himself. And in that, to bless us and enrich our lives more and more as we give ourselves up to him. He has all authority to bless us in it. And then finally, we talked about this. He has all authority to command us. Go, go and make disciples. We must not disobey the universal authority of the Lord of the earth. This one who, as Knox says, I quoted him last week, was given heaven and earth to do what he liked with them. Boy, do I love that phrase. Given heaven and earth to do what he liked with them. What a king we serve. What a prospect that we could be uh, his agents, his soldiers, That we could be his brothers and sisters to carry out this gospel. So, let us stand as we read verses 16 through 20. Perhaps to refresh us a bit and we honor his word as we stand to read it. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. This could be uh, others outside of the eleven that saw and doubted. Or they may have just doubted whether it was him or not. We're not quite sure. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The reading of the word of God. Please be seated. This is another one of those passages that could use uh, southern slang. Uh, because when we're talking plural, we say y'all, of course, in Alabama. And I, I know some people in Texas do as well. Um, 
We also say in Texas, I've heard quite a bit fixing, you know, I'm fixing to do something. But if it was if we had the y'all, we would be able to see in verse 19 that he's addressing us in the plural. Y'all go. Y'all make disciples. Y'all baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and y'all teach them. Now, several things that that means that, of course, every person in the body of Christ is called, is given this privilege and honor. As we gave the illustration last week, would you rather be cleaning the latrines on this ship or would you like to be in the wheelhouse actually driving, you know, driving the ship with your hand on the steering? Uh, Well, by God's mercy, everybody's in the wheelhouse. In, in the church, everybody is there participating in the most glorious prospect, the most glorious work there is in the world. This is the glorious work of this world. It is that we are seeking to bring light to this dark world. But in saying then, addressing the church as a whole, it means then that we're to act in concert as the church. It means that we're to work together as perhaps a battle unit or supply unit or a rescue unit, each using his or her gifts, working hand in hand with other believers, playing perhaps one part in the overall process of a particular person coming to know Christ. One person showing hospitality, another serving, bringing a meal, another inviting, another through a process, having a conversation coming to worship, coming to small group, and maybe the 13th time they visit a church, they come to know Jesus. But if you counted all the people involved, it would number the dozens that played a part in drawing that person to Christ. So, in addressing us in the plural, each of us is to be a link on the way, supplying your particular capacities. And I'd like to picture us as perhaps a a paratrooper unit put down behind enemy lines in World War II, which we had a lot of those. And it was key to our victory as we retook uh, Europe from uh, Nazi Germany. You see, very much like that, uh, Jesus Christ has all authority in this world and we're taking the world back. And we, in a sense, are certain paratrooper unit and we've been we've parachuted right into this place by God's providence here we are we're in Fort Worth and you don't parachute somewhere for the guys to sit there and get on the ground and say okay where can we have lunch where can we kick back where can we build a tent let's go fishing let's relax here now you're 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 put there to do a task we we on on purpose have been brought together to form this battle unit, supply, rescue unit, to bring rescue and light, salvation to this place. And we, I love what was said by Randy Pope at the Southwest Church Planning Network recently. He said a lot of times people say, well, worship is priority. Worship is the priority. And he said, yeah, that's true. Worship is the priority. But mission is the priority. And you don't set one priority over another. We worship God as we involve ourselves in the mission of making known Christ. And if we don't make known Christ, it makes our worship pretty flimsy and pretty empty and pretty hypocritical. 
that we really don't love and worship the Christ, the God who has the heart of the world. The world on his heart. So it's a part of our worship. It's a part. It's it's a priority because God has made it a priority right alongside with our worship. It is a part of our worship and obedience to him. So. The thing I'd like to underscore then is we believe the Lord in this outreach as we hear him address us as a whole church is that we build in our fellowship a culture of outreach, that we build a culture, a mentality, an atmosphere that pervades everything that we do, that we never see ourselves as anything but a worshiping and outreaching unit of people. And we just see it together. We don't worship him without aching that his name be made known. Just as we began with Psalm 67. Bless us, bless us. And so many times this is like, bless us, oh Lord. And we're not even thinking about the world when we say that. But the psalmist is, bless us, shine your face upon us, give us your grace so that the world may know you. You can't even worship or long for his goodness towards you, except that that's associated with being enabled to be a part of making him known. So we want to create a fellowship of encouragement. We say we're nurturing a joy. That's our vision. Nurturing a joy to love God and love people. Nurturing this desire, building one another up to reach out, to share stories, to share struggles, to share successes and failures. Building this culture in all of our activities to think outreach. You know, we've begun to do that more and more. We uh, used to do that with we, we had outreaches into the neighborhood. Uh, now, even with our VBS in house, we have more people from outside the church than inside the church. And so it's been an outreach thing. And we have these people come, the families on Friday night. Our picnic this year had almost 50 families from the community there as a part of child evangelism. In our fellowships and worship and even mercy projects, seeking to have the open door, seeking to ask the question, how might we use this as part of outreach? And not, that's not to lessen worship anymore. It's to increase our worship of the God who has the lost on his heart. Do you see? It's just to fill out and enrich our worship and our honor, our devotion and awe of this God who way back in his first dealings with Abraham in Genesis 12 said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the earth. And the very first call in separating and forming the infant people of God in the person of Abraham, the thought right off was, You're going to be, your seed's going to be a blessing to the earth. That pervades all his dealings with his people. And that's not to lessen our joy. It is to increase our joy. It is to increase our joy. I love how John talks about this. In the very first few verses of First John, when he says we're writing these things, these things about our fellowship with God, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
Dear brothers and sisters, this is not to take you away from the joy of worship, to lessen the joy of your worship. It's to magnify the joy of your worship. It's to magnify the feast that you have in Jesus Christ as you give yourself to His will and see Him use you, use our church to see others brought to Jesus Christ. Now, several things I'll just underscore as we build a culture of outreach. First is that we're to have the heart of the Lord, to have the heart of the Lord. You can turn there if you will, if you want. John 10, verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What do you think the heart of Christ is? I have other sheep I must bring. I will. It is absolutely necessary. And that's not said as a sense of duty. It's his passion for his sheep, he's saying. My passion drives me. I will not neglect one of these sheep. I will get them. I will draw them. So what do we do in response? Oh, good. Let's get a Coke and popcorn and watch. I don't think so. Hearing what is on his heart, we want it to be on our heart, right? We want it to be on our heart. Aren't there words like follow Jesus, imitate Christ? Be conformed to Christ. Here's the heart of Christ to which we must be conformed. As John put it in 1 John 2, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Paul speaks of the spirit of Christ dwelling in us in Romans 8. Won't the spirit of Christ dwelling in us want to bring them also? The spirit of him who must bring them, will he not make us like him? Paul teaches that the spirit of the Lord is transforming us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Won't that include in some way Christ's desire to see lost people saved in particular to gather all his sheep? I think so. I think that's what it's going to look like. I think that's what we can expect from God to do in us if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. So the heart of the Lord is at the root of building this culture of outreach. And turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 15. If you're using the blue Bible, that's on page 874 if you'd like to look with us. Boy, that's the problem of a lapel mic, isn't it? (laughs) Clear your throat and everybody's like, yuck, quit. (laughs) That's why I like this better sometimes, so I can clear my throat. Now, according to Jesus in Luke 15... And you can see this in verse 7. You can see it in verse 10. What is the attitude in heaven when one sinner repents? He describes it, doesn't it? Joy in heaven. Joy, verse 10, before the angels of God. It's party time. It's feast. It's celebration. 
The two parables, there are 99 sheep, but one is lost and he goes and gets that sheep. And there's joy in heaven for this parable, this picture of gathering a sinner. And a woman has 10 coins and she loses one of those coins and she searches for it and finds it and has joy. And that's a picture of the joy that is in heaven over the salvation of one. And then the prodigal son, the joy of the father, as he runs down the road and throws his arms around his son who returns. You see, think of the implications. If we're seeking to be like God in our desire to see the lost saved, to see Christ's sheep gathered. And brothers and sisters, look at the setting here of Luke 15. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, Jesus draws a line. He puts the Pharisees on one side. They don't care about these lost people, these tax collectors and other sinners. They don't care about them. They had no compassion for their condition. They didn't pray for them. They didn't build bridges of friendship and relationship with them. They didn't seek to show them hospitality. They didn't serve them or show them kindness as a way to open up their hearts to the love of Yahweh. That wasn't what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees are on one side, and then you have Jesus and the Father and all of heaven on the other Searching for the lost, finding the lost, and rejoicing when the lost are found. We have a serious question to ask ourselves, don't we? Am I a Pharisee? Am I a Pharisee? You see, according to Jesus, the danger is that we can be in some ways like self-righteous Pharisees. Instead of people who, because we helplessly depend on Jesus for forgiveness and life, because we are broken and yet we're amazed and rejoicing over the love that Christ has shown us, we ourselves seek for the lost and find them and rejoice when they're found. But it is the self-righteous, the self-serving, the self-dependent, the self-protective who, like the Pharisees, grumble at the lost and don't seek for them, let alone rejoice over them. That's the context here. By God's grace, don't you think this could be the pattern of our church? Seeking, finding, rejoicing. Seeking, finding, rejoicing. Don't we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If if heaven rejoices, then we're praying that we will rejoice. And we're praying, if we're praying that we will rejoice, we're praying that we will care like heaven cares. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we bear that joy and that passion for them. And it's interesting how this same desire worked itself out in Paul. Listen to his words. It sounds so much like Christ, such a reproduction of the life of Christ. Paul says this, therefore, I endure everything. Okay, so I I go, I, I spend everything, I lose everything, I suffer everything. Why, Paul? For the sake of the elect, same thing as saying his sheep, I suffer everything, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Like we have, you see. 
There's that humble thing that we have received it so that they also may obtain this salvation and with it eternal glory. That's the heart of Christ expressing itself in Paul. Same heart of Christ. So the heart of Christ. But then just look at the context a bit more. The example of Christ. It's interesting that he says it talks about going to seek the sheep and going to seek the coin. You surprised that I pronounced that right. Um, but but he's actually doing it. He's actually doing that by what? And it's very simple. They were drawing near to hear him and they're complaining that he receives them and he eats with them. He's hanging out with the unbelievers. He's eating with them. He's striking up conversations. He's building bridges into their lives. He's opening up their hearts by his kindness and love. These were really bad men, you understand. These weren't just down and outers. These were evil men in society. And he was associating with them. He was sitting down with them. You see, that's why it begins with kindness and friendship and hospitality, a meal, a get together, a project. That's what Jesus is doing. So the seeking for the lost sheep and the lost coin is simply a parable for what Jesus is doing and what we all can be doing. Serving, showing kindness, opening up our homes, striking up conversations. In your call, what we said last week. In Colossians 4, conducting yourself wisely toward outsiders. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt or, or tidings, showing uh, every consideration to every person. Even doing your work for the sake and doing it well for the sake of the witness to outsiders. So, you could be used in countless ways to further someone down the path. I heard an interesting uh, statistic from Jim Bland, our Head of MA had lunch with him last Monday, and Jim said, studying one book that talked about the kind of how the character of those who are outside the church. And they're kind of in categories, you see, of much like we have this for overseas missions, uh, a category of being very far away from even believing in God or even having a notion of God that's anything like us to those who are fairly close in their thinking. And he said a full 40% of the unbelievers, and it may be higher in Fort Worth, are open and will respond to an invitation to join a Christian at a Christian meeting. 40%. That's pretty easy, okay? That's just an invitation. That's just saying, would you like to go with me to a small group meeting? Would you like to go with me to a worship thing? Just invitation. But your hospitality, see, may open up somebody's heart to come to a small group study or to a party that you have at your home for people in the neighborhood. And you have a couple of friends from the church there and they meet a few more that may open another door, a conversation over coffee or the back fence or after you've watched a movie together or after your kids have gone swimming together. Or you may be the one who shares or they may hear it first at a Bible study or at Sunday school or worship you bring them to. They may come to church, meet someone else. And three months later, that person shares Christ with them. And three months later, they hear the gospel or three months later, they hear the gospel for the 13th time, as I said. And that's the day they believe. You see, it's being open to be used in any way that God may use you 
in opening up friendships and opportunities and bridges that can open up conversations, build relationship, and even build more relationships by their becoming associated with the church. That's everything but us going on, knocking on doors, you know. Bam, 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 bam. And they say generally in our society that is not the way to do it. You want to get your reputation, go start knocking on doors, cold turkey, and barging in on people during supper or whatever. I know all of you love to hear somebody call you during supper and want to sell you something. And, uh, but this is the way that the early church did it. The, this is the way uh, as uh, has been studied often in those first three centuries. It was this living out the gospel in relationship. So you see... We have the heart of Christ. We have even, in this case, the example of Christ to help us form this culture of outreach. And I'm going to end with this. We also have the strength of Christ. The strength of Christ. Here's the interesting twist to our community, our culture of outreach, is we're strong, but we are so weak. Remember what Paul said, he talked about this messenger of Satan that he had to harass him, to keep him from being inflated. Three times, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses. And he goes on, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Lee Ferguson, a friend of mine who serves on the RYM board, that I, and I, went, I had our annual meeting uh, Wednesday through Friday. Lee teaches sonship in the States and overseas. Sonship is a... Uh, excellent teaching and training program for really understanding the gospel, understanding uh, more deeply our acceptance in Christ, our adoption in Christ, having that freedom of acceptance to really explore our sin and, and grow in grace under the umbrella of that acceptance. And Lee was talking about a conversation he had with this uh, woman who is uh, kind of enmeshed in some self-righteousness and He said, and Lee has gone through some very hard things in his life. And he said, don't you realize that there's some mornings when you wake up and you pray, Oh, Lord Jesus, if you don't come to me now, if you are not with me, I can't even get out of bed. That's what Jesus has to work with. (laughs) That's what Jesus has to work with. Weak people, scared people. You ever get home from work and you just kind of want to walk from your car to your house and you hope nobody bothers you? You want to get in your house and just, you're so worn out, you're so emotionally spent, you just need the refreshment of being alone and you think, I can't even imagine trying to reach out to my neighbor. I just want to be left alone. Many times that's how we feel. Life is so full of anxieties and pressures and things that go haywire. You can think you're only barely getting by. And then this talk of, oh, now I've got to be used and win the world for Christ. You know, 
It's like, please, I'm just trying to get through. But I don't want those to pit against each other. You're going to find some of the most refreshing, amazing enrichment of your life as you push through even the times when you're fatigued. It's amazing that at one point Jesus, having heard that John was beheaded, it says he pulled off to be with his disciples. And you think, oh, here it is, the one person that kind of understood what was happening and then he's gone and the loneliness and ache and pain that Jesus felt and he just wanted to be alone with his disciples. And then the crowds come. And it says he felt compassion. He felt compassion. Think of him on the cross in agony and pain. And he thought about the forgiveness of the people there. He thought about the thief on the cross. He thought about his own mother. Love pouring forth. Our precious sister Janet talked about in the loss of her sweet husband those days and how their focus on giving themselves away in love to others was all that got them through. (laughs) You see, it's a both and. It's that we, we find ourselves nourished when we give ourselves up to His will. When we cry out and say, Oh Lord Jesus, I don't even think I can move, get out of bed, much less bear witness to You. But oh Lord Jesus, I step out in faith and trust You. People aren't looking for someone who's perfect or you think you're perfect. They're looking for people who are struggling, but who are kind and sympathetic, who will listen. Who would you think, I'm going to close with this, who would you think would be the better tool for evangelism? Let's take a religious man, a Pharisee, who knows the Bible up and down. He's a faithful tither. He always prays on time. He's always there at church. He is right there. He doesn't uh, openly commit anything that you can see. His life is clean as a whistle. This other guy lives in the cemetery and he's naked. And when people get too close to him, he beats them up. And he's so wild, he screams at night and he's so wild and possessed by, the, by these demons, he tears chains when they try to bind him. And people, you know, walk carefully around the cemetery and they hear his screams, kind of like the hound of the Baskervilles. Just scaring them to death. Which one are you going to use to spread the gospel? This helpless, broken insane, possessed man. But as you may know, Jesus healed him. He cast out the demon. And it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, and by the way, it said, there he was, clothed and in his right mind. You know, you've heard that phrase. Well, that's where it came from. He's now clothed and in his right mind. He begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Brothers and sisters, if he can do that for this guy, maybe he can do that for our whole church. You think you think If we trust Him, if we live in belief, He will do it.
Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, forgive me, forgive us for unwarranted fear, for clinging to this world, for clinging to comfort and pleasure and ease. Lord, for being more concerned to keep up with a TV show every week than we are our neighbors. We all are guilty. Lord, not that that in itself is wrong, but if there's no concern and no outreach, no heart-thumping desire, oh Lord, save us from the demons of worldliness. Save us from our idolatries. Save us, Lord, that we have not in many ways taken Christ as our treasure and we really don't believe if we give our lives away to Him and if we spend ourselves for our neighbors and we begin to include them in our lives, we begin to include them in our meals and our projects, we begin to ask the question, how might I serve this person? How might I minister this person? How might I even know the name of this guy that lives across the street? Oh, Lord, that this will not take us away from joy, but it will expand our joy. And we can be like John who says... I'm sharing these things with you that my joy might be made full. Oh, Lord, we admit to you that we're just as bound in a sense spiritually insane as that demoniac. We pray, as you saved him, save us. Make us, Lord, in wisdom, in carefulness, in friendship, in all the ways that we should, But, Lord, make us faithful. Use us, Lord. Use us for your name's sake. Amen.